0: Thank you for downloading the sermon podcast of Calvary Chapel of Mercer County. Enjoy the message. To the yard, they can stay in their cell if they want. Um, but anyone who comes out into the yard, it's pretty remarkable. So we're really excited about it. So let's pray for our time in the word. Father, thank you for these two different uh, teams that are going out. The group that's going to the prisons in New York and uh, the kids that are going to uh, the area surrounding the inner city of Coatesville. And Father, we do pray for you to bless uh, richly your word as it goes forth. And, and Lord, that's exactly what we're praying for our time now. Lord, we know that your word is rich. We know it's alive. Uh, Lord, it is a treasure. And we do pray that as we uh, dig into it, you'd give us hearts that are prepared and ready to receive what it is that you have for us. Lord, that you'd minister to our hearts. Lord, I, I pray uh, especially for a lot of us uh, coming, sitting, uh, under the word on a Sunday morning, um, in some ways, is routine. It's something we do every Sunday or, or close to that. And I, I pray that this morning, Lord, that you would use your word to get down into the deepest places of our hearts. And even if it is just something we typically hear and kind of listen to uh, approvingly, Lord, I pray that you would shake our hearts to the deepest places today. And you'd bless your word as it goes forth. In Jesus' name, amen. We are in Proverbs chapter 1. So you can go ahead and turn there. A couple of weeks ago we started the book of Proverbs and then last week we had our exciting uh, 20th anniversary service. Wasn't that a lot of fun outside together enjoying each other in that way? And thank you for all of you that pitched in and helped in, in a variety of different ways, the picnic and so on. Uh, But we started Proverbs chapter 1 two weeks ago, and in that that time, the study was called The Way of Wisdom, which is really what our study of the entire book is going to be. We're going to look at God's way of wisdom as presented to us in the Word, not only in the book of Proverbs, but uh, certainly throughout the entire book of the Scripture. And you may recall, if you were with us, that I pointed out that Solomon, right from the start, establishes this is the reason why I'm writing what it is I'm writing. Again, if you look at verse 8, he addresses it to his son. So he's writing this to his son to pass on some information about the way of wisdom, but certainly we can all kind of tune in and watch as well, listen as well. And starting in verse 2, he goes on, chapter 1, verse 2, and he gives the various reasons why he is writing this book, ultimately culminating in verse 4 with this idea of that we might learn the way of wisdom and the craft or the skill of living life well, living life with wisdom. That's his goal. So in verse 4, he says in so many words, I'm writing these words so that you may know wisdom and know instruction and that you may know or that you may understand words of insight. Verse 3, he goes on, I'm writing these words, he says to them, to his sons, so that you may learn the value of receiving instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness and in matters of justice and equity, and then make them your own. Remember we talked about that idea so often you hear in one ear and out the other. Well, that's the exact opposite of what Solomon is hoping for regarding his son. Rather, what he wants for his son is to hear these words and to make them a part of who he is, that he might live them out. And so he says that you might receive it. You'd make them a part of your own. Verse 4, he goes on, essentially saying, I'm writing these words that you might develop prudence and knowledge and discretion. And that's that phrase that I commented on last time we were together is where we get this idea of living life skillfully or living life craftily, like a a master craftsman at his or her trade, that we would become master craftsmen at the trade of life. And we would live life with skill. We would live life with wisdom. That's his goal. So I summarized it this way. Solomon's goal for his son is that he would become a man that is able to learn from his own mistakes and that he might be able to learn from the mistakes of others, making the needed changes in thinking and actions that may be necessary. That his son would, be a li- uh, would live a life with care and discretion. That he would become observant of life's circumstances. You may remember I said this, from every angle. And then use those observations to make well thought through decisions that are marked by wisdom. His goal for his son is that he would hear these wise teachings. And rather than just hear them and let them go in one ear and out the other, he would take them as his own and make them a part of his life and ultimately his desire is that his son would take all of this information and he would apply it to the life that he lives as a skilled artisan applies his or her skills to his or her craft that's his desire and that's his desire for a son and certainly that's God's desire for you and I as well as his sons and as his daughters that each of us may know wisdom and discern the words of understanding too often We all know that those who need wisdom the most often relish wisdom the least. And sadly, it's for those folks, oftentimes only through the painful experiences of life that many, if they're going to learn anything, can only learn through the painful experiences of life. And so Solomon's desire for his son, the Lord's desire for you and I, is to save us from life's painful experiences, and hence we have this book. And so with that now, that's the introduction. That's why I wrote the book, Solomon essentially is saying. With that, Solomon jumps in now. All right, now let me give you wisdom. I told you why it's so important for you to have it. Let me give it to you. Notice verse 7, the first point of wisdom that he presents to us. He says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And I think it's of utmost importance that we recognize that we, and we take note of where Solomon begins as far as the way of wisdom is concerned, that he seeks to communicate right from the beginning. Solomon says the beginning of knowledge, the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of understanding, all of those words could be used interchangeably. Some versions, instead of saying beginning, say the foundation, the foundation of knowledge, the foundation of understanding. Some use the phrase the starting point. So the starting point of knowledge and understanding, notice he says the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And so if a person desires to be wise, if you desire to live life skillfully as God would have you to live it, then the starting point has to be reverencing God and trusting and obeying him hear this, no one will ever become wise by despising God's wisdom or instruction. That's what the word of God says, that no one will ever become wise by despising God's wisdom and instruction. In fact, Solomon will say, such is the path of fools. So the person that despises God's wisdom and instruction, Solomon says, that's the path of fools. He says, fools despise wisdom and instruction. And until you and I resolve that God and his ways are better than me and my ways, we will never grow in wisdom. Because it's the fear of the Lord that is the foundation of wisdom. And everything else is built off of that. So if anything to follow in this book, in the next 30 chapters that follow this one, if anything to follow in this book is to be of any value to you and I as the reader, then as the reader, we must resolve that we will listen and obey, that we will heed and put into action that which we learn thoroughly convinced that God's ways are better than our own ways. And so as we study, we're still sort of in that, come on man, jump in, I wanna get to it. But as we study this book and as we learn all this information, there will undoubtedly be words that rub us the wrong way. There will be things in here, words of wisdom that we hear and we say, yeah, that's probably true, but I'm not interested in doing that. There's gonna be words like that in there. Fear of the Lord determines right now that his ways are higher than my ways. And whether I like them or not, I'm going to commit myself to heed or to obey and to listen to his words. The Lord is wiser than you and I are. And so we begin in wisdom by laying the foundation that his ways are better than ours. And we're going to walk in them. As, remember little Samuel? Well, they said to little Samuel, when the Lord speaks to you again, you go back and you say, speak, Lord, your servant listens, as your servant is hearing. And that's how our response should be. Speak, Lord. I may not like it. It may not be comfortable, but speak. Now, a few chapters later, Solomon in chapter 8, he's going to say this about the fear of the Lord. He's going to say, the fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. The fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil of evil chapter 8 verse 13. Now that's one aspect of the fear of the Lord. It's to agree with God on what God calls sin. And so the way of wisdom, one of the ways of wisdom is to agree with God on what he calls sin and despise that which he calls sin. Okay? So jot that down. The fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. A second aspect of the fear of the Lord, it's found in the example of Noah. And you're familiar no doubt with Noah. Noah in the book of Genesis Most of us, I'm sure, are familiar with the story of the flood and so on, the account that the Bible provides for us of the flood. There, if you're not as familiar, I'll remind you, Noah, he's one of only eight that survives God's righteous judgment upon a world that abounds in wickedness. And he survives because of his obedience to God's instructions. And so God came into Noah's life and he began to speak into Noah's life. And Noah is instructed that he is to build an ark so that he and his family might survive a coming flood. Now, we're familiar, we read it, we know it, but remind yourself in case you don't, it had never rained on the earth before, and yet God said he was going to bring a flood on the earth via this rain. And despite the fact that it had never done it before, Noah obeys. Despite the fact that he's instructed to build this ship, size of football fields, to build this boat, this ark, out in the middle of nowhere with no sea in sight, despite that, he does it. And despite the fact that it takes him over 100 years to do so, Noah does it. Despite all of those things that might have dissuaded him, might have said, caused him to say to himself, this is ridiculous. What am I doing? I've been doing this for 50 years. Despite all of that, Noah follows through and he obeys God's command. And the book of Hebrews chapter 11 tells us why he obeyed God's command. Despite all of those things, And so in Hebrews chapter 11, we read this, By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. And by this he condemned the world, and so on. Despite all of those things that might have dissuaded him, and despite all of the mocking from his peers that was likely occurring, and despite all of the internal doubts that no doubt were regularly present in his life, Noah follows through and obeys God's command. And again, he does so, as the writer of the book of Hebrews says, because he feared the Lord. The beginning of knowledge is to fear the Lord. To establish right here and right now that God is wiser than you and I are, and that his ways are always better than our ways are. That if we want to live with skill and expertise, then we need to bring our thinking into alignment with his thinking. Not his thinking into alignment with ours, as is so often the case. That's the foundation of a life of wisdom. And so with that as the starting point, Solomon begins by building on that foundation. But he gives us one more reason as to why this is a good decision on our parts to heed, to listen. Notice verse 8. He says, Here, my son your father's instruction. Forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. He says to his son, look, the words I'm about to give you are a graceful garland for your head and their pendants for your neck. By heeding Solomon's parents' advice, this young man will al- avoid life's pitfalls and he will develop expertise in the practical affairs of life. And ultimately, the result of that, Solomon is saying to him, is the life that this young man is going to build will be the type of life that is adorned with honor and with moral beauty. He's going to have, if you will, this garland for his head. That's an honor. He's going to have these pendants around his neck. That's beauty. He says, you put these things into practice in your life, and you will see that your life will develop into the type of life that is adorned with honor and moral beauty. Listen to what I said, and you'll be glad that I did, he says to his son. And again, the starting point, though, in all of this is to recognize there are things that I don't know. That's a starting point for every one of us here. What are you talking about? I'm 30 years old, I'm 40 years old, I'm 50 years old. I know who I am, and I know what I'm doing. If I may suggest to you, you don't really know as much as you think you know, all right, and you're making mistakes in life. And the reason is, is because we grow up in a culture that doesn't always value the wisdom of God and whether we realize it or not that seeps into our lives. And so as his, as his children, we need to rethink the way we think about certain things, even if it's our default thinking. And the way of wisdom will show us how. And so again, a starting point is we must recognize there are things that I need to learn. There are ways that are higher than my ways. And I need to bring myself into compliance with those ways. And until, and unless a person does that, they will never grow. They will continue meandering along from one mistake to the next, doing the best that they can with the limited understanding that they have and hopefully learning from their mistakes along the way. Or they can, we can submit ourselves to God and his ways. And we can build a life on the foundation of the wisdom that comes from above. There's our choices. I choose the latter sometimes I want to choose it more frequently now Solomon as an older man meaning he's lived a little bit he knows that there's going to be many voices clamoring for the attention of his son just as many voices clamoring for our attention. And so beginning in verse 10, Solomon is going to begin contrasting, and this will go on for a number of chapters, and he's going to begin contrasting the different voices that will be seeking to influence us. Some of those voices for good, some of those voices for evil. And so he begins with one of those sets of voices. It's found in verse 10. He says, my son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. And so he begins with the example of a voice or voices that are bent on evil. He says, son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. It's an interesting word, entice, because it has a variety of different meanings. I think all of which apply and sort of expand our understanding of what he's trying to communicate. And so this word entice here, it's a word that sometimes speaks of temptation. And so if sinners come along and they tempt you, Do not consent to that temptation. It's a word that speaks of persuasion. And so if sinners come along and try and convince you of the wisdom of their ways, don't consent, don't give in. It's also a word which speaks of deception. The idea that if sinners come along and try and trick you, don't give in. But I think this last one is a very interesting one. Because for a lot of us, I think this really hits home. We're familiar with the voices of temptation and we stay away. We can see the deception or hear it, understand it, and perceive it. But this last idea of this word enticement, it speaks of swinging the doors wide open. And the idea in that picture would be the easy road, the easy path. The doors are wide open. There's no resistance. Just come down this particular path. And it's simple, easy, comfortable, path of no resistance. And how often that's the path we want to travel, the simple way. No difficulties, no challenges, no struggles, no having to say no to my flesh and yes to the Spirit. I just want a nice, simple, easy way. And sometimes that nice, simple, easy way leads us away from God. The way of wisdom is to realize that not everyone has your best interest in mind. And not everyone is seeking to help you build a life that is adorned with honor and with moral beauty. In fact... Whether a person seeks to tempt us to go astray or convince us to go astray or to trick us to go astray or even if they just simply want to make our life easy so that all we would have to do is simply go with the flow, Solomon says don't. And he says that to you and I as well. That we must live our lives on our guard against the one that would entice us to evil. I think an important point to know from the beginning is this. If you're gonna walk in the way of wisdom, you're going to have to have the courage to take a stand and say no from time to time to life's enticements. If you're gonna walk the way of wisdom, it's not necessarily the easy path in this world in which we live. And there will be times where you simply are gonna have to dig your feet in and say no, I'm not going down that particular path. And that requires courage. You know, I was thinking about examples of this And, you know, things come on the news or whatever, or the radio. And have you heard about these things called payday loans? I can tell you did over there. A payday loan is essentially this. You're going to get paid Friday, but you really need the money today. Oh, there's that TV. It's on sale. It goes off sale Thursday. I got to go get it. And so you go down to the payday loan guy. I don't want to give you a name or something. I was thinking like Vinny or something, but that would be disparaging to my Italian brothers that are out there. (laughs) But you go to this place to get a payday loan, do you know the average interest on a payday loan where they will say, all right, you're going to get a check for 600 on Friday? I'll give you a loan today of 500 bucks, And just Friday, you come in and you pay. Now, they're not your buddies, they're not your pals helping you out. The average interest on a payday loan is 400%. 400%, that's insane. But I got to have this TV right now. That's not very wise. That's dumb and it's foolish. And yet how often people go down that particular path, and you can transfer it away from the idea of money, but how often do we trade the security later on for what I want right now? And it's not wise. The courage to take a stand, the way of wisdom is to say no, no to ourselves. One of the reasons why fasting is so valuable in our walk, and I I say that as a guy who's not a big fan of it, I usually look forward to when the doctor says, we're going to need you to come in for a blood test, you're going to need to fast. I'll be like, great. I'll pray also, two things done at one time, you know. But one of the values of fasting is to teach you the lesson. You can survive by saying no to yourself. You can. And then that transfers over when that pretty lady or that handsome fella comes along. You can survive by saying no to yourself. It transfers over when you want to give it to somebody and you've learned the lesson. I can say no to myself and I still survive. So it's a value there. So anyhow, one of the ways of wisdom, a foundation point, is to realize you may have to take a stand in courage and say no to some things. Now, beginning in verse 11, Solomon gives an example, a possible scenario. Now, this scenario of enticement may be something completely off your radar. Nobody's ever going to come to me and throw this particular scenario out at me. But it's a scenario of enticement. Learn the lesson and apply it to your life as it fits. Let me read it. It's about three or four verses. He says, son, if they come and they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let's swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall all find precious good. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us and we will all have one purse. Now, the example that he gives are people that are seeking to entice his son to lie in wait and ambush an innocent person, to rob that innocent person of their possessions if need be, to kill that innocent person in order to take their possessions. Now, some of you are here are like, yeah, that doesn't describe my life. Or whatever, and I'm glad that it doesn't. You don't run with that crowd that is encouraging them to knock people off. Some of you, it does describe your life. And some of you have been in that particular place. But it's a scenario. And in in it, they say, join us. Lie in wait with us for blood. Let's ambush the innocent. Let's take advantage of them. Let's take from them their precious goods. Notice some of the enticements that are there, and then you can apply it to your life in a different scenario that you can come up with. But they say, join us. Be a part of the crowd. Be a part of the us, not the them. Come on, you be with us. Be popular like the rest of us for young people, even old people. Come on, be cool. Be accepted. Be one of the group. They go on, he said, we shall plunder them. Why spend a lifetime working to build up wealth when you can have wealth right now by taking it from others? Now, that's all very appealing. It's enticing. I can be a part of the us just by going with you guys down that path. I can get rich quickly without doing any real work. I can have it all now with very little effort. Solomon says to him, my son, do not consent. He says to him in verse 15 and 16, my son, do not walk in their ways. Now, their ways may be very appealing. In some ways, their ways may make sense even. I mean, think of it this way. Yeah, why should I get up and work a nine-to-five all week to earn 500 bucks when I can just go down and knock off some unsuspecting old lady and get 500 bucks? Kind of makes some sense, doesn't it? Some of you are like, what is the matter with you? (laughs) you're looking at me here. But for some it does. Solomon says, do not consent. He says, he's been saying to them, resist their enticements, don't give in to their persuasion, persuasion, reject the path of least resistance. And instead he says to him, take courage and take a stand. For no matter how convincing their enticements may be, Solomon's son, you, you've already determined, sorry, that the way of wisdom is built on the foundation of the fear of the Lord. So no matter how convincing their ways are, how enticing their ways are, you have already determined that the way of wisdom is built on the foundation of the fear of the Lord. So don't go in their path no matter how convincing their path may be. Now, I find it interesting that the enticer, he cries out with all of his enticements, join the us, you can have it now, no penalty, no payment, uh, or no difficulty for you, come on, join the us. He gives all the enticements, but noticeably, the enticer leaves out all of the negatives. A a perfect example where there is not full disclosure associated with the enticement. Again, come on, be a part of the crowd, come on, get rich with little effort. What they leave out is the truth that your sin will eventually find you out. What they leave out is that the old lady is packing, and she's going to pull out her piece and shoot you dead. They leave that out. Those are the sorts of details that they conveniently leave out. Sin and the sinners that use sin, they're like crafty fishermen that mask the hook with the allurement of the bait. And so Solomon then is going to offer three instructions to his son. They're going to come and they're going to entice you. And Solomon's going to offer instructions to his son for when they do. And as God is offering it to us as well. The first instruction is this. It's found in verse 15. It's to take special care regarding the path that his son walks on and the crowd that he walks with. I'll read verse 15. It says, My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths. So the way of wisdom may require you and I to break off some relationships that we have. The way of wisdom may require you and I to break off some relationships. It may require that we change some of the places that we go to or that we limit. And so maybe it's not actually going with people, but the idea is that it may require that we change and limit some of the influences that come upon us. And so by that, what I mean is maybe the type of stuff we're watching on TV and the influence it has on us. Maybe the things that we're reading. Maybe the things that we're listening to or the crowds of people that we are listening to. And the influence that it can have on us, the way of wisdom may require we break off some of those relationships or we put aside some of those influences. Now, some will say, oh, but that's legalistic. That's not legalistic. That's the way of wisdom. If you want to walk in the way of wisdom, then walk with those that are also walking in the way of wisdom. And these enticers certainly are not doing so. That's his first instruction. Be careful the paths you walk and who you walk with. The second word of instruction, it's found down in verse 17. It says this, for in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. His second word of instruction, and I'll explain how I got to this, is don't play with temptation is don't play around with temptation. Even a bird has enough sense to see a trap being laid for it and to stay away. And yet these enticers here in Proverbs chapter 1, they set a trap for themselves and for Solomon's son, or for you and I, that they're getting ready to walk straight in into. So they're setting a trap that they themselves are going to walk right into. Solomon says, don't play around with such things. Because they will ensnare you and they will, indus- and they will destroy you. And so his second instruction is this idea of not playing around with temptation. I'll be okay. It'll be fine. I'll get this close. And then, of course, you get a little bit closer and a little clo- closer. And the next thing you know, you're succumbing. And you're falling down that pit. Solomon's third instruction in dealing with this enticement is to offer a dose of truth that the enticer left out. So you look at verse 18 and it says, but these men lie in wait for their own blood and they set an ambush for their own lives. Solomon instructs his son that even in the very process of seeking to harm other people, these men are, will be harming themselves. What these guys are doing here in this enticement, they're sacrificing the permanent for the immediate. And so they may get what they want for free. And they may steal the 500 bucks from the old lady or whatever it may be. They may get what they want for free at the time of the taking, but in the end, they will end up making a payment that in the long run is far too great a price than they can possibly pay. And so they are harming themselves. The Apostle Paul says in the New Testament, it's a familiar verse, it says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever one sows, that will he also reap. And if you sow a life of sin and corruption and compromise and foolishness, you will not reap a life of wisdom and honor and moral beauty. It just won't happen. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. And so Solomon, in these instructions, three instructions. Number one, watch the places you go and who you go there with. Number two, don't play around with sin. And then number three, Remind yourself that you will reap what you sow. And so whether you're being enticed to lie in ambush for some poor unsuspecting soul or you're being drawn into the office gossip or you're being tempted towards some forbidden relationship, Solomon's word for you is to be wise in the choices that you make. Not to let the enticements or the enticer deceive you. Not to give in to their attempts to persuade you. Not to take the easy path of least resistance, but to be prepared to make some courageous decisions, to stand strong, and if, po- if need be, to say no. That's the way of wisdom. Now he continues in verse 20, and in 20 we have a second voice. Remember I said there's a variety of voices, some for our good, some for our evil, or for evil. And so in verse 20, another voice cries out. Now this is the voice of wisdom, and throughout the book of Proverbs, Solomon is going to Personify wisdom, as if wisdom was a person. And he personifies her as a woman that is calling out, crying out that the people uh, might hear her voice and put her ways uh, into practice. In so many ways, this wisdom is God really speaking. And so he personifies God here. And it says this in verse 20 Wisdom cries aloud in the streets. In the street, in the markets she raises her voice, at the head of the noisy streets she cries out, and at the entrance of the city gates she speaks. I want you to notice where wisdom cries out. It says in uh, verse 20 there first off, it says she cries aloud in the street, secondly, it says she cries in the marketplaces. Thirdly, there in verse 21, she cries aloud at the head of the noisy streets and at the entrance to the gate of the city. So notice where she's crying out from. Wisdom is going to all of the places where people will be because wisdom wants people to know. And wisdom has situated herself so that people will know. She goes to the most strategic places where she can find the greatest number of people and she cries out there. She yells out in those places that people might hear. And so wisdom is not some secret information that only a select few can possess in the farthest recesses of the planet, like some guru of some religion where you've got to climb up to some mountain and this little kid will sit there and he'll speak a word of wisdom and only those that are truly committed that come can have it. That's not what wisdom is. Wisdom is crying out in the busy places where people are going to be because wisdom wants us to know. The Lord wants us to know the way of wisdom. She's right out there for all to take hold of and receive as their own and make a part of their lives. Now, for sure, there are plenty of other noises that are threatening to drown out the voice of wisdom. Notice the streets are noisy. The markets are busy. The gates there, the city gates, the place of government, they're bustling. But despite all of that, that does not mean that the way of wisdom cannot be known. Wisdom wants her hearers hearers to receive her instruction. But wisdom cannot force her hearers to receive her instruction. In the same way that none of us can be forced. In fact, notice verse 22. It says that wisdom pleads with her hearers. It says, you can see it. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing, and fools hate their knowledge. There's a, a yearning within inside of this person wisdom. And again, it's, uh, it's personified. It's not a real person. But there's a yearning inside of wisdom. Say, how long? What are you doing? You're killing yourself. I can help you. But you've got to take my words and receive them. Now, three people are mentioned in verse 22, types of people, as having rejected wisdom. The first is the simple. The second, you see there, is the scoffer. And the third one is the fool. And the, the simple, the scoffer, and the fool, your version may have slightly different words there to describe them. They're going to be used repeatedly throughout the book of Proverbs. So let's take a look at them real quickly. The word the simple there, it's a term in other places, is translated, depending on the context of the sentence, as one that is open or something that is open. So if a gate was left open or it's open during the daytime, they might use this Hebrew word here, which is translated simple. It's a word which means open. And the idea here is, idea here is a person that is willing to believe anything to the point of naivety. Willing to believe anything but investigating nothing. Solomon calls that particular person simple. A little bit later in the book of Proverbs, chapter 14, Solomon says this about a simple person. He says, the simple person believes everything, but the prudent, the wise person, gives thought to his steps. That's the idea of the simple person. The second person Solomon references is, in the verse there, you can see it, is the scoffer. And the scoffer is the one who thinks they know everything. They know, oh, I got got an amen there from someone. That's my wife. Now I'm a little nervous. She might be talking about me. The scoffer is certainly not going to stop and listen to some lady crying out in the streets. Because they already know everything. And in their pride, they're not going to accept instruction from anyone. A little later, Solomon will speak of the scoffer, chapter 21, and he'll say this. He'll say, scoffer is the name of the arrogant, the haughty man, who acts with arrogant pride. And so the scoffer is proud, too good to learn anything because they already know everything. And then thirdly, Solomon mentions the fool. And the, the fool, a little bit of a combination of some of the others, the fool knows nothing and sadly doesn't realize that they know nothing. And so the fool is dull and stubborn, they're coarse and thick, and they are and will remain ignorant of the truth the fool is the one who cannot be told anything and the fool will only learn lessons if they learn them at all the hard way through the pain of experience and what you're going to what i w- would like us to notice here and i think this is how it applies to our lives is it's not the actions of these people that wisdom reproves it's the disposition of these people that wisdom reproves it's their attitude toward wisdom and so her opening accusation against each of them, again, is for their disposition, not for their deeds. The beginning of wisdom is having a disposition to hear and to learn. And again, unless a person recognizes that they have a need to learn something, they will never be able to learn something. I remember the most frustrating time of teaching is when I had a student in class that thought they knew a little bit about a particular subject. Of course, they're kids, what do they no. They, maybe they did. Oh, I remember this. I watched a two-minute episode on this, and I know everything about this particular topic. And they wouldn't shut up, and they wouldn't listen. No, I'm a great teacher. Go ahead, kid. It was Dan. No, it wasn't Dan. But go ahead, kid. Tell me what you know. And the kid would tell what they know, and then I'd watch them, and they'd shut off, and they wouldn't listen to my great wisdom that I was going to share with them. And I just said, that's cool. Whatever. Do your little spiel. They do the little spiel. Kids are looking at me like, Is he done? Not yet. Let them go a little longer. And then test time would come, and they would simply know what they had heard on a two-minute spiel somewhere. I'm sorry. I'm a little bitter about this still. All right? (laughs) And they wouldn't go any further. Yeah, I do. I got to let it go. But anyhow, if you're, until a person realizes they need to learn something, they will never learn something. And obviously that applies to us as well. Verse 22, we saw wisdom brings an indictment. For these three, you've rejected my words. How long will you reject my words? And then wisdom reply, or follows up by presenting an invitation. Look at verse 23. He says, it says, If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you, and I will make my words known to you. So first the indictment, then the invitation. And again, wisdom is God personified. Notice God's patience. They reject, but he continues to pursue. Notice, he warns them. He says, if you turn at my reproof, I will make my words known to you. He desires that they would learn these things despite the fact that they have rejected these things from him. Now, there's a couple of different ways that you can interpret that phrase, turn at my reproof, and commentators do interpret it differently. One is turn at my reproof in the sense of I'm giving you you instruction and you turn away from it because you're not interested. That's the idea of turn. The other way some commentators see this is in the sense of listening to the reproof and turning, in, in the good sense. Oh my gosh, I was going the wrong way. Let me go the right way. And so there's two different ideas here. If you look at, and commentators disagree on, on how to go with this, if you look at verse 24 and 25, I think it's the idea of rejecting and turning away from. Because you see there, it says, I have called, and you refuse to listen. I have stretched out my hand, and no one is heeded, because you have ignored all my counsel, and you would have none of my reproof. It seems to me that wisdom is calling, but they are refusing to hear. That wisdom, you see there in verse 25, is, an ex- is extending a hand. Help, let me help you up. Let me help you run this race, walk this walk. But they refuse to take the hand, that the fool, the scoffer, the simple... That they were not interested in having any of wisdom's reproof and ignoring all of wisdom's counsel. And again, I find that very interesting because the sin of sin that wisdom calls them out on in the beginning here is represented simply as their being indifferent to his call or her call. I put my hand out and you wouldn't take it. And that's what she calls out. I called out but you wouldn't listen. And so one commentator I read said this, it doesn't need to be violent opposition that wrecks a man's soul. Simply doing nothing when God speaks is enough to affect destruction. And I think many of us here know that is very, very true. God calls out with wisdom, not for his own good, but for ours. And the simple and the scoffer and the fool respond by ignoring his counsel. Now it does go a step further in verse 26 And it goes beyond ignoring wisdom's counsel to the point of mocking wisdom's counsel. You've got to track with me. Look at verse 26. Wisdom speaking says, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. And so if wisdom will also laugh, that implies that the fool and the scoffer and the simple themselves are laughing. That they're mocking. Mocking the Lord. Mocking the way of wisdom. And wisdom responds and says, and I will laugh at your calamity, and I will mock when terror strikes you. Now, that sounds kind of mean. Uh, Those of us as parents, we would scold our kids, at least my wife and I, if our kids were mocking a person in their misfortune. And so it sounds a little bit mean. God, you're mean. Why would you laugh at them, mock at them in that particular point in time? The idea of laughing here is laughing in the sense of vindication. And so you may have heard people use this phrase, or maybe you do it, sort of this knowing smile that sometimes you would have in a circumstance, this idea, I've been vindicated, that the very snare that wisdom said these folks would be ensnared in has indeed done so, that it has ensnared them. And in the day of their calamity, wisdom's words will ring out loudly and clearly in mocking judgment, that when the natural consequences of their fool, foolish decision is allowed to play out, then wisdom will be vindicated. And that's this idea of la- mocking at their calamity or laughing at their calamity. 28 says, And then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me. I think an important lesson for us to, to nail down that we believe is this actions have consequences. Actions have consequences, and consequences do not just go away because the person experiencing those consequences doesn't like them. Ooh, I don't like this. God, make it go away. I'm sorry. And it will all go away. Every man, every woman is free to make their own choices in this life, but they are not free to choose the consequences of those choices. And when those consequences come, and the person is reeling under the pain of those consequences, there will be no no escape. Now, this doesn't mean that a person can't be forgiven for their transgressions. But that forgiveness does not mean that they are now immune from the consequences of their actions. A person cannot reap what they have not sown. They can only reap what they have sown. Remember that verse from Galatians chapter 6? And because this person would have none of God's wisdom, ignored God's wisdom, mocked God's wisdom... Because they would have none of God's wisdom, they will now experience the fruit of their own way. The prophet Isaiah said, seek the Lord while he may be found and call upon the Lord while he is near. And so the time to get wisdom is now. Because previously this example they would not see and now they cannot see. Now this has implications certainly for the here and now as people go about trying to live their lives uh, in the way of their own way and the consequences that will likely bring. But I think additionally, we know that this has implications for eternity as well. And so just as a person neglects wisdom in this moment, will have to experience the consequences of that foolishness sometime down the line. In the very same way, the person that rejects the gift of salvation and the gift of forgiveness of sin in this life will have to experience the consequences of that rejection in the next because as the scripture says today is the day of salvation it says in another place today if you hear his voice harden not your heart for just as sure as the fool will come to realize the consequences of his or her decision so too will the unrepentant sinner come to discover the consequences of their unforgiven sin And so Solomon here, speaking as wisdom personified, he continues in verse 29, because they hated knowledge and they did not choose the fear of the Lord and they would have none of wisdom's counsel and despised all of wisdom's reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and they shall have their fill of their own devices. That's just the way it works. Again, to quote the Apostle Paul, whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. To quote the founding fathers and the Enlightenment thinkers, that's the law of nature and of nature's God. That's just the way that things work. You reap what you sow, and you don't reap what you haven't sown. Now, Solomon gives one final contrast. It's in verse 32. The simple are killed by their turning away. The complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Judgment, as we've been seeing, is promised to the one that rejects God's wisdom. In contrast, peace and security is promised to the one that receives God's wisdom. Peace and security is promised to the one that receives God's wisdom. Judgment is promised to the one that rejects God's wisdom. And in saying that, I'm reminded of two Old Testament passages that I'll just leave you with. The first, Moses speaking, it's found in the book of Deuteronomy. It says, See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and to serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess And I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. If I could add wisdom and foolishness. Therefore, choose life, he says, that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, holding fast to him, for he is your life and he is the length of your days. The second passage is found in Joshua chapter 24, and that says this, Now therefore fear the Lord. And serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods of, that your fathers served beyond the river in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, well then choose today who you will serve. Whether the gods of your fathers in the region beyond, in the land that you once dwelt. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I believe the Lord has put in the exact same choice, if you will. There's a big word choice but before you and i the way of wisdom or the way of foolishness Now, we if it was called that we wouldn't take it so it's the way of wisdom and our own way the way of wisdom and the way of this world the way of wisdom the popular ideas and he's putting that choice before us there choose you this day one or the other and that's what the lord puts out in front of us amen friends amen father we thank you for how gracious you are to give us even uh, the words that we need and the wisdom to, to weigh, the wisdom to walk in the path of wisdom or, or your ways. And, and Father, what a privilege. And so Lord, I pray for uh, the moral courage uh, to decide to walk in your ways. Lord, we even in saying that, we're reminded that in and of ourselves, we don't have the strength to walk in the ways of God. Even if we, are fully convinced that these ways are right, Lord, our sinful nature leads us to go astray, leads us to go our own direction. Certainly, the temptation of the enemy is oftentimes deceptive and will lead us astray. And so, Lord, as your children, we recognize these words, we know that they are true, and we commit ourselves in a fresh way to depend upon your Holy Spirit to walk in these truths. Father, I think it would be tragic if any of us left this in our own strength more determined to live a good life or more determined to walk in this path of wisdom. What I think what you would have for us, I know what you would have for us, is that we might leave this place more determined to cling to our Savior and to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit and to open up our hearts and our minds to how it is you're directing And rely upon you for the strength to walk in your ways. And so, Lord, do that work. And Father, for any of that are with us today that don't yet know Christ, Lord, I pray that you would fill them with the sense of their need for a Savior. Lord, draw them to that place, the place of the cross of Jesus Christ. Lord, we reminded your son, said, if there's any other way, let this cup pass. And Lord, the fact that he was on a cross made it clear that there is no other way. Sin must be dealt with. A payment must be made. The righteous one must give his life on behalf of the unrighteous. Impress that upon the hearts of any that might need it this morning, we ask, Lord Jesus. And we pray in your name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the sermon podcast of Calvary Chapel of Mercer County. If you would like more information about the church, its ministries, its worship services, or its small groups, please visit ccmercer.com or download the church app to your phone.